Hello everyone, my name is Logan and you are listening to The Crown Cast, the show where we talk about everything to do with Charlotte FC. And uh, we're going to talk about a win, because we win all the time now. Apparently, if we play <laughs> a game at home, at the vault, the, uh, the, the absolute monstrosity of a stadium that is becoming the vault, uh, we're going to win. And we, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of ideas as to why that may be. It could be the fact that we have the best fans in the whole world. Uh, it could be the fact that we have the best team in the whole world. It could also, in theory, uh, be the fact that uh, Christian Kalina is almost unstoppable at home. So who knows? Who knows exactly what it is? We will continue to speculate. But a man who will speculate with me joins me as ever. It's Justin. Hello, Justin. Logan, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing really, really well. Uh, just, just the chance to see another one of these games and and see how they come through and and the joy that comes along with them and and now the joy of getting to talk to you. Uh, all all good on my side. Uh, so we are going to spend a little bit of time talking about the game today, and we're also going to spend a little bit of time talking about how we feel like this squad is moving and can move forward and and some of the other things that are going on uh, now with the squad. But Justin, we discussed previously that one of the things that you wanted to see most was us go back to the football that uh, that looked like it was taking us somewhere. And and we switched back to it. You want to you want to talk a little bit about the formation switch and and where we came back yeah. to you know, I think everybody can can remember a little bit uh, when we recapped the unfortunate match against current MLS league leaders, Philadelphia Union, where we did lose 2-0. And, and we switched back to playing five uh, fully defensive players uh, across the back and then four in the midfield and dropping Daniel Rios and starting only Carol Swiderski up top. And, you know, it did not pay off for us. And uh, I mentioned in our react uh, after that and, and, and on our weekly podcast, everything that I, I disliked the switch back to the five, four, one. It's an overly defensive formation in my opinion. Um, and apparently, you know, we've talked before about how Charlotte FC and Miguel Angel Ramirez uh, obviously listened to this podcast and uh, take our advice. They, they took our advice again, switched back, went back to the four at the back, that we've seen, I, I think, start to solidify where we had Joseph Mora, Christy Fuchs, uh, um, Guzman Correjo, and, and uh, Jalen Lindsay playing across the back. And then it, it's a little bit more fluid in front. It's it's maybe a 4-1-3-2 or a 4-4-2 with a diamond midfield. But, but whatever it is, it's a formation with more attacking intent than the 5-4-1 that we saw against Philly. It's a formation that provides more space in the attack. Um, and I understand that you do try and tailor a little bit depending on the opponent. And, you know, maybe uh, Ramirez saw a, a very strong Philly squad and said, let's try out a very defensive lineup and saw uh, an injury weakened Atlanta squad and said, we can go on the attack for this one. But what I've seen so far this season, we play better looking football. We play more effective football. And we get in positions to score more when we play, you know, in this four at the back and then with some real attacking intent in front of it. Um, and it was very exciting to see. I was very happy to see this switch back to, you know, to this more attacking uh, uh, formation, the more attacking lineup. And I think it opened space in the attack. And, and we'll talk more about that as this podcast goes on. But I hope that this is the last we'll see of the five five at the back because in addition to just I don't like the style of football, I don't know that the team is suited for it. Every time we've seen five at the back, there has been confusion amongst those five. And mm -hmm. uh, I think this four kind of streamlines things for them. They know sort of the quadrant that they need to cover and – I just think it looked better. Oh yeah, and I, I'll come. I'll come into this and say, you know, when you when you put that five in the back, when you when you line all those players up, you're basically there saying, hey, we're gonna build a wall, and we are going to be defensively just almost unbreakable. 
nothing is unbreakable, uh, except Christian Kalina. We'll get onto that later. <laughs> uh, nothing is unbreakable, but but the objective of that is to be more defensively solid. And I think one of the crazy things that we're seeing here is I actually feel like we're more defensively solid right now. Uh, I mean, if you go back and you listen to the post-match, you will hear me just kind of, I mean, I think I actually just gave a, a crown uh, to the whole defense because we look like we have less holes, weirdly, with less players back there because it looks like the 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 positions are a little bit better. People know their roles a little better. And I got really excited in this one because, uh, in my opinion, there was one really bad slip up. Uh, and we talked about it with Jalen Lindsay on the outside, uh, kind of falling asleep for a header late in the match that Atlanta will feel like they should have scored. Uh, they didn't. That's ultimately what matters. But that was it. In my opinion, there was one time in the whole 90 minutes today that that we can look back at and say, this was a, they broke us down, right? One time. And for a team that, on average, Christian Kalina has had to make something like six miraculous saves a game. Uh, I, I actually think Christian Kalina was almost bored. I mean, he did have to make some saves, but one of the things we saw in this particular match was we saw how the attack was getting marshaled to bad angles to take shots. We weren't diving in on balls. We weren't recklessly challenging offensive players and then being out of position when we got beaten. We were giving them the space that wasn't dangerous. And I think it's easy to look at that as somebody who may not be as familiar with the game or with somebody who never played in defense uh, and say, yeah, but you know, we're not taking the ball off them higher up the pitch. We're letting them run at us while we're letting them take up that space and letting them run at us, we're also allowing our teammates to get back into position, right? To rebuild those connections that make our defense so strong. And, and I'm going to call out uh, Joseph Mora here for, for all the good reasons, because this is one of the things I really felt like he wasn't doing was connecting with the team from a defensive sense. I felt like he was kind of just winging it and not, playing with his side of the field or you know he was kind of relying on only him and Joseph Mora did a great job today of not diving in too quickly not going to ground staying on his feet and and shuffling the offensive player away from dangerous areas so we saw quite a few shots to Christian Kalina in this match that were from really really tough angles and while they were able to get a little bit of pace on the ball Kalina was able to see it the whole way. There were no danger of rebounds. The defense made sure it wasn't going to come back into the middle into a dangerous position in the pitch. And I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited for that because that is the mark of a good defense. One out of every 60 of those shots may find the back of the net. But if we let a guy beat us on the interior or if we let a player pass through the interior to one of their you know, running on perfect position uh, attackers, one out of every two of those goes in. Uh, so the fact that we're now taking the time, we're taking the breaths, we're, we're slowing down and we're marshalling dangerous momentum to the non-dangerous areas of the pitch, huge, huge ups. Um, not just to Mora here, but to Christian Fuchs, who... Justin, I, I think you will agree with me. Christian Fuchs is, is not the fastest player in our team. Would you would you agree with that? No, I mean he he shows every uh, moment of his thirty what six years of age at this point. Yeah, he he's he's not fast. Uh, you know, if you go back and listen to the the post match, and I know we say this all the time, but I talked about Jalen Lindsay just sort of leaving one of the. Uh, opposing Atlanta defenders in his in his dust and I, I went back and I, and I watched it again and there was a part that I guess I didn't want to see it when I saw it live but there was a part where Christian Fuchs and I I am not exaggerating in any way shape or form here this is all true 
Christian Fuchs is on the left side of our defense. He's gone out there to cover for Mora, who's pushed up. And one of uh, Atlanta's wingers gets the ball, looks up, I swear to you, looks dead in the eyes of Christian uh, 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 of Christian Fuchs and goes, you're 38 years old or 36 years old. I'm just going to run by you. Uh, and he did. He just ran by him. I mean, it was so obvious that that Christian Fuchs has a, a limitation in his game there. But he appears to be managing it better, too. He's positionally making much better decisions that in this match kept us uh, kept us much more solid. And so I was really, really happy to see that. And and long may it continue. Long may it continue. Uh, well, and, you know, I think like we talked about, I think he has benefited from the move inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the team's benefited. That defensive solidity has benefited from maybe Christian McCoon sitting down and becoming a, a sub in defense rather than an every game starter or anything. Yeah. Um, and the five, the four at the back puts less of the attacking impetus and responsibility on Mora and lets him maybe focus a little bit more on that defensive responsibility and provide that additional solidity out in the left back spot. And so, yeah. And, and Mora does have the speed to do both, but maybe when his, uh, maybe when his mind is a little bit more, like you said, on, on what his actual role is, we'll see a little bit better out of him. Cause it definitely looked better. Uh, certainly during that Atlanta match really, really quick. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, Christian Kalina because he is Christian Kalina and uh, he gets another clean sheet today. That's the second one. Uh, we feel like he has earned probably more clean sheets than, than just two. But you cannot lose a football game, Justin. I'm not sure if you know this. You cannot lose a football game if they don't score on you. Were you aware? That That is generally true, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very difficult to lose one when when no goals are scored against you. Yeah, and uh, Christian Kalina is uh, just continually impressing. In fact, uh, I, I got the chance. I saw something online the other day, and really quickly, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out uh, Charlotte FC memes page, uh, who is a, another part of the community. Right? They they put up the the classic meme uh, that just said corporate needs you to find the difference between these two pictures. And one of them was a picture of Christian Kalina, and another one was just a brick wall. And, of course, it cuts to the, they're the same picture, right? Yeah. And, and it's so true. I mean, it's, it has be, it's so regular now that we, we just expect it to happen, and it's almost become a joke. I say it's almost, it's become jokes. Uh, and great <laughs> ones, ones that we love. Uh, but then it just keeps happening. You know, you just sort of, uh, is, I mean, is there anything else you want to say about Christian Kalina other than, Great, great job. We talked uh, earlier in the year about how if you have an above average goalkeeper, you are going to be in a position to to make some noise within Major League Soccer and position yourself to potentially make it into the playoffs and then who knows what can happen. And I, I mean, I think that we continue to see other than one, you know, just just his brain turned off for a minute mistake against Philadelphia. Um, Christian Kalina is, is, he's not just above average. He is an excellent keeper. Oh yeah. Um, he's got all of the, all of the pieces that you want from a keeper right now in terms of the, the stopping, the distribution, uh, and, and, you know, I do want to call out to that we're not the only ones who think that way. Uh, major league soccer released their team of the week listing, and Christian Kalina did make the list, along with Jordi Alcivar for scoring the Olympico goal uh, against Atlanta. And uh, uh, second time so far this season within the team of the week, the manager of the week is Miguel Angel Ramirez. There is, I think, some recognition that uh, uh, MAR has taken a squad that a lot of people, including, I mean, MAR himself used some very colorful language to indicate that we were not in a position to necessarily do very well during the preseason. Um, but, uh, you know, credit to him again. He's putting together a squad that believes, a squad that uh, understands the system that he's trying to run and, and plays it the way he wants them to play it, and it's producing results. And 
So shout out to those three guys for again, you know, MLS team of the week. These are these are being recognized by industry experts as it were. Oh yeah. Uh and and multiple times in quick succession means so much more, right? I mean, uh, we're on what match week 7 8 and and MAR has been recognized twice. Yep. Uh you know, for to be recognized once at all is spectacular, but to be recognized twice in that time frame really means that and we're not the only ones that see it, just as you said, uh Justin. But I spoke about previously that almost everybody out there deserved a crown uh, in our last podcast, and we did not get the chance to talk about everyone. We've kind of talked a little bit about the fact that Mora really improved. We've talked about the fact that Fuchs is holding position really well and, and using his, his, uh, his dad energy uh, to, to really marshal the team from the defensive perspective. But... One of the ones that we don't get the chance, or some of the ones that we didn't get the chance to talk about, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight Carol Swiderski. And I feel like Carol Swiderski took a bad situation for himself in this game and really did the best he could with it. The downside of Carol Swiderski is the league has now learned he exists. Right. The world now knows. <laughs> um, and... And so they're not going to let him be free anymore. They understand that he's, one, he's left-footed. And a downside of Karol Swiderski, he doesn't have a, a spectacular right foot. Um, so teams are thinking about, as they come into the game, how do we stop Karol Swiderski? He is almost always marked now. Um, and that means he's having to adapt. He's having to overcome the challenges that are in front of him. And we talked a little bit earlier about how he kind of went missing in the Philadelphia Union game because he he wasn't able to do his normal sort of uh, tricks of the trade. Uh, everybody was, was wise to his tricks. And he came out this next time and he adapted. And we actually saw him take those people who were marking him and drag them back into the center of the pitch. Uh, we saw him him come back into the middle supporting the midfield, being another connecting ball, being another place to pass to that maybe wasn't the most deadly position, but in doing so opened up that space because it was clear that his markers were told, you don't let him leave, right? You are on him. And that's what we want to see. Like, that's the stuff that, that we want to see is when, when one team comes up with a solution, are you going to adapt or are you going to be stuck in a hole? And so now not only from Carol Swiderski have we seen that he's a spectacular striker who, if you are given any time on his left foot, will put you away. We have seen that he can take spectacular free kicks. Justin, you and I off mic had a huge conversation about what we feel like the best goal from Charlotte FC was, and he is absolutely in that conversation. But now he's saying, okay, if you want to devote a whole bunch of your resources to, to, to just stopping little me, I'm going to drag them into the midfield out of position. And you're either going to have to let me go free where I can cause havoc in the midfield, or I'm going to force holes to open up in your back line that Bender and Alcivar can, can go attack and, and Rios can go attack. And so I was really impressed. It, you know, because they were kind of sitting on him the whole time, he didn't get the chance to do that much. But he did a lot to create benefit for the team, considering what he was given. So, though he didn't get a crown in, in the last podcast, I am so happy to call him out because he's more than just a striker now. He's a team player. I mean, Justin. We talked a little bit about the, the Pink Flamingos again, you know, cycling back. And, and Swiderski is showing that he's not just the, you know, find me in between the, eight, the 18 and the 6 and I'll slot at home kind of guy. Um, you know, he, he, again, we talk about buying into Miguel Angel Ramirez's system, right? He's, he's making and seeing some of these overlapping runs on the wings to, to open up space and drawing players out of position, uh, since they're, like you said, paying attention to him as much as they are. And, and, you know, um, it, it, it's opening up opportunities for, for other players and, you know, it's showing some of the, uh, 
some of the same kind of capability and, and uh, that we've seen from Daniel Rios previously. And, and I did want to call out Rios now. You know, I think they're starting to find a little bit of balance and a little bit of a partnership up top there where, you know, if there's going to be sort of an overload of the defense to go chase after Swiderski, Rios is starting to get into those positions again in between the 18 and the 6. Uh, and for our newer listeners or, or anybody who may not be familiar, between the 18 and the 6 is uh, between the big box and the little box in front of the, the goalkeeper there. Um, you know, but Rios had... It just brushed the outside of the post, you know, a little bit better. And, and that's the second goal for, for Charlotte. Uh, but a great header uh, off of a cross against, I think, Swiderski was out on the right, creating the space. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it, it eventually did come into Rios. And, and so it's nice to see sort of these two players that we have talked about before showing off the flip side of their game to what we have talked about, uh, you know, for them before. So we're starting to see the uh, playmaking capability of Swiderski and, and we're really getting close, I think, on the finishing capability of, of Daniel Rios. Yeah, it's always good to see players, you know, we, we very clearly put this statement forward is, can you do more than just the trick you are good at? Uh, and it's starting to look like both of them are capable of doing more than just the trick they're good at. Um, and more than that, they're not giving up what they already provide. You know, in this last match against Atlanta, it's not like, it's not like Swiderski was only in the back line helping to create movement through the midfield. He was still making the dangerous runs. He was still up there trying to, to put a ball in the back of the net. He still looked hungry. He looked like somebody who wanted it. And, and that means that, that, we're adapting in a really, really good way. And it's one of the things that I think, once I got the chance to sit back down and look at it again, inspired me so much about this game as I was watching it live. Another person who deserves a highlight is Alon Franco. Alon Franco in our midfield is just a force. Uh, if you go back and you watch that game over, Alon Franco is everywhere. He is doing the hard work. He is doing the thankless work in the midfield that just keeps this team ticking over. And it looks really, really good from Alon Franco. He's picking the ball off of opposing players. He's pressuring effectively. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, besides his kind of terrier-like nature, Alon Franco has a lot of technical skill. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, Justin. I mean, Alon Franco gets the ball, and he is really good about controlling it and and sliding a pass out to a dangerous position, almost no matter where he gets it. And it, it kind of snuck up on me. I mean, have you seen what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have. I, I think that if you get past sort of the showiness that, that Jordi Alcivar and Ben Bender have brought to our midfield, um, none of it works without sort of Alain Franco more than anybody else taking it over. And he's not going to make the it, – it's – a lot of time referred to as Hollywood ball, right? He's not mm -hmm. going to do the the cross field pass that splits two lines of defense and, and sets somebody through, but he's not going to concede possession easily. And he is going to make the smart pass out of the midfield into positions of danger. And it's a really important, it's a really underrated thing. Um, it's a thing I will admit because I didn't have a chance to watch this Atlanta match live, I didn't get a chance to see because it's the sort of thing that doesn't make highlight reels. Yeah. But it's also the sort of thing that is desperately needed by any side uh, to to have the player who does the little stuff well. Yeah, and, and what it does is it just takes the pressure off of you. You're not you're not always defending or on a break because this player is in the middle of the pitch controlling things, right? He's, he's the one that's moving the ball around. He's the one that's constantly probing and pressuring the opponents. He's the one that is making it so we feel like we're in control, right? We're not just attacking. We're not just defending. We are controlling the space. And every time I looked back at that game, I looked at the space around Alon Franco and went, yeah, that space is under control. Uh, any, anything that's around him felt under control. And 
uh, that's a really, really good stabilizing presence for us, uh, not to mention the fact that his work rate is immense. Um, his technical quality is amazing, and his work rate is immense. He, he wants to show why he's good, and, and he's showing it off, you know, as far as I'm concerned right now. One of the things that you, you touched on, Justin, and we touched on this last one, is because you got the chance to see the highlights and I watched the, the game live, there were a lot of standout performances to me that didn't even show up in the highlights. Uh, the largest one being Jalen Lindsay, who I felt like was a all-singing, all-dancing uh, creator of gold in this particular match. And you didn't see him at all in the highlights. In fact, the only time you saw him in the highlights was for for bad reasons. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, if you had asked me after watching some of the highlight package and everything when we were going to do the post-react and, and reading some of what was in the breakdown, uh, you know, just on ESPN, uh, I was ready to to card Lindsay. You know, the the going to sleep in the 87th minute and leaving that header that, that just went past the far post, uh, leaving that free, that that looked terrible to me. And there was a time earlier in the match, too, where he turned off on the the entire defense turned off right on the the free kick but it just happened to go down Lindsay's flank uh afterwards so uh it, you know if all you saw was the highlight reel uh i think that would have looked really poor on him and, and i i um, have a theory as to why we're not we're not seeing highlight play getting highlighted uh especially through the defense and up through the midfield um but one of the things that is getting highlighted justin is our sponsor, Potions and Pixels. Uh, we are so happy to welcome them back. If uh, this is your first time listening to the podcast, Potions and Pixels is our sponsor. Uh, they are a local Charlotte community of board gamers and video gamers, and they put on events all throughout Charlotte. They've been doing some at 7th Street Public Market. Uh, they do some at Camp North End on Fridays. They are a fantastic uh, community of people by which to go out and uh, have an event to to bring friends to, to go to and make friends. If you want to get involved in, in board gaming or tabletop, if you want to learn about D&D, or if you want to get involved into the more competitive scenes of uh, things like Super Smash Brothers, uh, you can find Potions and Pixels on any social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, reach out. You can find those guys, and they are a fantastic place to start. Uh, because it's just a really, really good community. And Justin, I know you always like to highlight that they're family-friendly as well. Yeah, I have three kids. It's a great opportunity to get the kids out of the house, get them uh, you know, going and socializing a little bit, and having an opportunity to try out some board games without necessarily committing to the purchase. There's a ton of people there who would love to uh, talk to you about how those board games work and help you run through uh, in some cases and sometimes that's logan and i that are there uh to, to talk you through how some of the board games work and help you understand the rules um the other thing i want to call out for potions and pixels real quick is uh they participated with the city of charlotte in creating a mobile game that's been very well received it's called trash dash charlotte it's a game that helps uh people especially younger people understand the importance of um you know sort of how to manage waste how to manage recycling things like that and so it is it's not just uh, community is not just an opportunity to, to go and play, but it's it's community with, you know, that that focus on improvement, that focus on on making things better for all of us, and uh, for all of those reasons, we cannot recommend Potions and Pixels highly enough. Um, it's uh, uh, always a blast. Yeah, always a blast, and maybe we'll see you there. But Justin, and I feel like that's just about enough of that. Yep, I think we're ready to move on. So I I have this theory. All right, and I will openly tell you that I'm clearly the smartest individual in the whole world, and all of my <laughs> ideas are right. Uh, I, I actually will tell you that for anyone who knows me. I won't believe it myself, but I will try and say it as convincingly as I can. Uh, but I feel like there is an imbalance in our attack. And attacking is the hardest part of football. Uh, despite how big that goal is and how small that ball is relative to that, that goal, it is really, really hard to put the football into the football goal. And uh, teams spend hundreds of millions of, of dollars a year 
attempting to solve this problem. Our team does not feel like it has it yet, but it feels like it has a lot of really interesting pieces. But we were talking earlier about the highlights that don't become highlights. Moving the ball through the middle third of the pitch is incredibly challenging, and it's kind of the quiet work that nobody thinks about. Eventually, you get to the pointy end of the pitch, which, huge credit to Charlotte FC, we're talking about them in the pointy end of the pitch now. You know, we're not talking about, hey, will we, will we ever get lucky on a counter and maybe get one fluke goal? I mean, we're talking about a team that is developing to the point that we are going to have to make a structured, repeatable, pointy end attack of this team in order for it to continue to thrive. And there's, a, there's something I'm going to preface this with, and that's we're doing okay right now. We are talking about problems that are going to come a little bit down the road. And that's okay. I personally feel like the better time to talk about where our shortcomings are as a team is before they start affecting us on the pitch. Because once they start affecting us on the pitch, you're reacting out of, you're reacting out of panic Uh, You're having to just throw something together to solve a problem that's already on your doorstep instead of thinking about that problem in advance and wondering, hey, how do we adjust this? How do we create new new systems to overcome? And once once people start double marking Carol Swiderski, what do we do next? Right. So I've developed this this sort of system that, Justin, I'm going to ask you to work with me today. And this is this isn't the first time I've done this. I've done it privately a couple times for some of my other teams, Uh, but I'm going to ask you to help me with it today. And we're actually going to put some ratings on our attacking players. And they're not just going to be like, oh, this player is good. It's going to be, why is this player good? And does this player's specific skill set mesh well with the players around that player? Um, I think we're probably going to end up doing this for the whole team, Uh, but... For now, we're just going to do Swiderski, Rios, Bender, and Alcivar, who are kind of our four, four pointy bits. Would you agree that they're our pointiest, pointiest? Yeah. People. I mean, right those now? are the attacking guys. Those are the guys that we expect to be scoring goals. You know, yes, our first one of the season was scored by Adam Armour, but I think that's the exception that's going to generally prove the rule that these are these are our goal scorers. Yeah, and and more than that, these are going to be the guys that reliably need to produce um whether they're reliably producing assists or whether they're reliably producing goals uh they reliably need to produce threat and ultimately i personally feel like you can break threat down into kind of five vague categories and there's some crossover in all of these uh but this is the one that makes the most sense you have five sort of threats on a pitch you have speed merchants you have people who are just fast <clears throat> these are your Jalen Lindsay's um, uh, who are just going to outrun opponents. If a ball goes over the top, they're going to be able to beat a defender uh, back. They're going to be able to open up space on uh, counters. If they can take one-on-ones well, they can beat that player and sprint away from them without getting caught. Uh, these guys tend to, to get people in transition or in long counters. Uh, you, have, you have warriors. You have fighty players. And these players tend to be the ones that want to stick close uh, to defenders, and they want to use their strength on the ball to, to sort of bring the ball under control or to push the opponent off and make enough space for them to make a dangerous chance, even if they're still surrounded by defenders. A spectacular example of this uh, on the other side of the world uh, would be Harry Kane, the, the Tottenham sensation uh, of a striker is a very he you know he's always up for the fight these these players love the duel and they they take a pride in never coming out second best the third category i'm going to talk about is aerial threat uh, especially with a game that has evolved so much into a set piece control and how important corners are now the ability to get up and get into the air and, and create threat out of the air or create control out of the air. A little bit of a little bit of crossover with the fight category. People who are usually very good in the air tend to have 
quite a bit of that fighty nature about them. But uh, they are separate because you can be very good on the ground and still be a fighty player. Uh, the next one is going to be vision. And I call this football IQ. And that's how well do you see what is around you? And how well do you see a play developing? So if, if in real time you're looking at space that will open up in three seconds and you're already planning for the space to be open in three seconds, you're ahead of the play. Your vision is very good. If you're receiving the ball and then the space opens and then you look and you, you finally acknowledge the space has opened, it's too late. By then the space will have closed again. The opportunity will be past you. And so this vision on the ball allows a really fluid attack that creates a lot of threat. The final thing I'm going to talk about, and then Justin, I'm going to hand it over to you to talk a little bit about Swiderski, is technique. And technique is so important. Technique is, uh, it should be clear to everyone, but your ability to do what you want to do once you've decided what that is. Whether it's make a well-weighted pass, whether it's take a shot and make sure it's in a dangerous location, whether it's to bring the ball down effectively, your technique on the ball resonates through everything else you do. And if you don't have good technique, you are not going to be able to achieve certain things. So, Justin, I've, I feel like I've just put a monologue out there. <laughs> I'm going to take like like three deep breaths. No, I mean, it's it's all important stuff to talk about. And so, you know, if we start out at who is generally the pointiest pointy end of our spear, we're yeah. going to talk about Karol Swiderski first. He is our main striker. He's our main attacking threat. And so as we look at these five categories, again, speed, fight, uh, aerial dominance, uh, vision, and overall technique. Um, so Swiderski is... And I'm actually going to steal from the other football here. I think that Swiderski might be quick rather than fast. Okay. I I'll think buy that. that that I don't know that Swiderski, if you ask him to pick the ball up and make some of the runs that maybe we've seen a player like Jalen Lindsay make, um, he's not necessarily going to beat three players on on the opposing team for speed. He's he's not just going to blow past people, but. I think Swiderski is very difficult to mark in the dangerous areas because he's got a little quick twitch to him where, you know, you, you glance away and then you glance back and he's taking these two long strides and he's clear and he's got an open shot for the net. He's very slippery. Yeah, I see what you're talking about here. I, I would put so, quickness in with speed, though. We're going to put quickness in yeah, with speed. Yeah. I think they both matter. Uh, I think, though, that it's very difficult to give him a real high speed rating because, you know, I don't know that he is is just that speed merchant. I don't know, you know, I think he's got the stamina uh, to run for 90 minutes at, at the front of the, the pitch for us. But for so, me, Swiderski's maybe a seven, six and a half, seven for a speed. So I'm going to I'm going to get us. I'm actually going to take it down a notch. I'm going to say let's do this out of five. So five is going okay. to be a this guy is as as fast as you're going to find in the MLS. And, you know, maybe we can call like a six if somebody is outstanding. Like if we expect that they are good enough to do this on any stage in the world, uh, we, we can give them a six. But essentially it is five is elite in the in the MLS and one is someone who uh, just recently woke up and is very groggy and also injured their leg yesterday. For speed, we're talking about a one is Christian Fuchs. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and mark that down for the future. Christian Fuchs with his, with his one speed rating. Um. I think it's fair then to put Swiderski at, at that, you know, three, maybe three and a half stars out of five in a speed rating. You know, I would actually put him at a four. Um, not that I think you're wrong. It's just, I think he's actually fast. I, I, I think teams right now are having to put their faster defenders on him. See, but wow, I don't know. So here's my thing about it. I, I like, I, I think that we might think that Jalen Lindsay is a five. I think that Kamil Yazwiak, when he comes into this squad, might be the five. Oh, that's fair. 
And and so I think I'm kind of like I've watched a little bit of video on Gosbiak and he is scary fast on and off the ball. He's he's a speedy and guy. So I'm I'm rating a little bit with the with the understanding. I mean maybe maybe Gosbiak's the six that you talked about. Okay. Right? But but you know I think maybe a three point five ish some somewhere a three point five to four maybe is is right for Swiderski for speed. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh let's do it at three point five. All right. Uh, the the worst it can be is bad, right? Um, and of course, these aren't <laughs> these aren't official ratings. This is what we see, and for all the people listening out there, we don't get the chance to like actually go watch these guys do sprints in practice, right? We don't yeah, get the and, chance and to put them on on a timer and actually see how fast they are. This is just uh, what we see live in the games, and and we don't get a chance to influence the FIFA ratings either. No, you know, no, we do not. These guys are in. Uh, in EA's FIFA uh, games, who knows what their scores are there? Yeah. So, uh, fight. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna chime in here, and I, this is gonna sound really weird. I I think this is a much slipperier player than he is a fighty player. Um, I think I I would probably put him at a two on this. This is a player who likes to use his his other skill sets to create space. Um, I think he's capable of it. But he he doesn't go looking to be close to a defender. He goes looking to break away from a defender. Justin, I mean, do you feel like that's an unfair assessment? I agree. So so here's the thing, too, is like if if he's going to position his body to protect the ball, it's generally from from what I've seen so far from Karol Swiderski in an attempt to buy a free kick. You know, he, he's he not looking, looking to turn that guy and take a, a snapshot by holding off the defender. I, I I have seen him turn a guy with speed and, and technique. I haven't seen him turn a guy with just, I'm going to hold you off. You know, I'm, I'm going to uh, ride out the tackle. I'm going to stay strong through the tackle and I'm going to keep moving. I think a two is probably fair for, for Swiderski's fight. Not saying that's a bad thing. You don't have to be great at all of these things. And, you know, there is definitely a school of thought, and I, I understand it, and, and in a lot of ways I agree with it, where sometimes the right thing to do if a defender is bearing down on you hard is, is go down, shield yeah. the ball, get the contact, win the free kick for your team. Yeah, that, that does make sense. Uh, so I'm going to speed it up a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, on to aerial dominance or aerial threat. Uh, I've actually seen him be an aerial threat in the box. I think I'm going to give him a three. Do you, do you think that feels fair? He will go up for it. He will fight for it. I think a three, three and a half actually is fair because in the first Atlanta match, he had a couple of very good headers that Brad Guzan was, I think, pretty lucky to save. You know, I think a lot of the stuff is, is just a matter of, like, it needs to get a little better, right? Yeah, just, um, just, just that little bit. And we're not necessarily saying it has to get better. Um, yeah. It's just, this is what we see of the player right now. Um, so yeah. I'm going to come right out with vision, and I'm going to say that when it comes to attacking space, he appears to have really good vision. I mean, I would put him at like a 4.55. He, he is constantly thinking about how the play is developing, and he's making really intelligent decisions on, you know, am I going to try and break in behind the line here? Uh, am I going to hold up my run and support? He he looks like somebody who, who makes a lot of his money by the fact that he's very intelligent with how he's attacking. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that when you talk about vision and technique, I think those are the things that that Carol Swiderski really really brings. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked a little bit about his quickness and things like that. The vision and the technique, the combination of those three things, let him find the empty spaces let him find you know the right run behind defense and also on the ball let him find good passes you know we talked about uh maybe a little bit of an underrated section of his game but he had it was a saved attempt in this match against atlanta but alcivar had a great shot that came from uh and uh, swiderski making the run down the right and then chopping a nice ball back inside to Lindsay. Mm-hmm. We've seen him before spring Alcivar on the attack with a great pass that splits the lines. And so I think for both vision and technique, you know, 
4.5 or, or 5, I think, is fair. I think 4.5 for vision and maybe a 5 for technique, because I just... See, I'm actually going to fight you on the technique. Um, I think his passing, his finishing, his free kick taking, <clears throat> the technique of a striker, I don't think that you're going to find much better in... And again, I'm writing this against the rest of MLS. I'm not writing this against the rest of the world. Um, See, but when you're writing against the rest of MLS, I think that Swiderski's a five for technique. Let me let me fight you for just a moment. Um, All right. And that is, if we are rating Swiderski's striker technique on his left foot, he is an eight. <laughs> Keep in mind, the scale is a five. He is an eight. I mean, his left foot... His ability to get to it, his ability to take shots on it, his his accuracy with it, the power he gets off it is silly. I mean, it's it's world class and then some. Uh, his ability with his right foot, I have not even seen it. I, I have not seen him even consider moving to his right foot, even when the situation called for it, and making anything dangerous out of it. And I I think people are starting to see it. Uh, that's not to say the player's bad. It just means technique is about everything. It's 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 an all-around thing. And I think his left foot technique is, is world-class. I think his right foot technique is almost non-existent. So I would actually rate this at a four. And it's... Or, or I would rate it at like an eight and a two. How do you yeah, feel? Yeah, I... I just I think that it it encompasses more than just the finishing here. You know, I think one of the things that when you talk about technique is is like the weight on passes. Yeah, that's um, fair. And I think his weight on passes is is excellent and I don't think that that's restricted to just his left foot. You know, we're we're not just talking about the finishing here the 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 wholeness of being a striker and the techniques that are associated with that. I think that he is at the top level of MLS for for that. You know, I think it, you would be hard pressed to find something I mean, better. Yeah. So, uh, just in the interest of, interest of time here, I'm gonna yeah. go ahead. I'm gonna put a 4.5. I gave it an asterisk. Asterisk. <laughs> and basically, everyone is aware on his left foot, he is incredibly dangerous. On his, he his weaknesses, he is one footed. Um, yeah. And we, we may talk in future podcasts about uh, how that affects us and, and whether it's going to affect us really negatively. Uh, I think as we get further down this list, this will go a little quicker. Really quick, uh, let's just move right through Rios. I feel like Rios's speed is 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 a two, maybe a three. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd go two for Rios. He's not he's not the speediest guy, but I think it's he's not bad. Uh, I think his, I think his, his fight is where he shows up. Yeah, I think his fight is probably in that four point five five category. Would you agree? Yeah, obviously in four point five. Rios, Rios is the guy. If you need somebody to take the ball under pressure and then lay it off, Rios is the guy for that. Yeah, um, aerial. Uh, he actually is quite an aerial threat. I think I'd give him a four here. Yeah, like I said, that snap header against Atlanta. It it brushed us past the post. So so here is actually my. A concern with Rios is we're going to get to vision and I actually feel like Rios's vision is not very good a lot of times you'll see him him use that that strong body to to get the ball down and I really haven't seen him then do the effective thing yet um, he maintains control which is good because it allows us to move out but for being that target man I don't see a lot of effective counterattacks go through him. I don't see him getting it and laying it off quickly and seeing where the open space is. I think his vision's probably looking around that two mark. Would you agree? So I'm gonna I'm gonna raise one point as a counterpoint before we can move on here. I would probably say his vision is more in the three three and a half range. And the counterpoint I've got for you is the counterattack for our last goal against New England is started by you know, we clear out the back and daniel rios takes a touch with the outside of his boot with the ball in the air like just takes it out of the air uh, to lay it off to jordi alcivar and that one touch is what springs the counterattack that results in ben bender's goal I'll and i'm that. not saying he does it all the time 
Uh, I'm not saying that it's a constant thing with, with Daniel Rios, but I am saying that, that he has had at least one moment of what I would say beautiful vision and beautiful technique. Not okay. saying it happens all the time, but I think he I think he deserves a three for vision for, for that kind of work. I I would concede that he he could get a three there. So a uh, technique I think is going to be his lowest, if not his joint lowest. Uh, I think I, his technique's a little better than his speed. Like I, I would put his technique at that two point five, maybe a week three. Yeah, I think I'm going to put it at a two point five. This is a guy who who does his work via his his sort of fighty nature, and I think if he had higher technique, we would see more goal threat out of him. And that's not to say he won't develop it. That's not to say we're not. You know, we've seen the best of him. That's just, for somebody who is up in that pointy end, we're not getting a ton out of him offensively. We're getting a lot of moving the ball up stuff. Uh, and where we are getting offense, we're getting it out of the air. I think I'm going to go 2-5 here. Are, are you going to... One, the one caveat I'll say about it, is, and, and this is, gets weaker and weaker as weeks go by, is that he joined like right as the season started, maybe a little after the season started from Nashville in that trade. Mm -hmm. And so he has, he is still developing that relationship with the team that a lot of the rest of the team developed during the preseason. I'm not excusing any of it. I think a 2.5 or a week three on technique is fair. Yeah. I just wanted to call that out. Yeah, you, uh, you just want to give him the credit that's can due. Do better. Okay, so I think the next one is going to be probably the most across the board strong one that we have. Um, and that's Ben Bender. Uh, Bender has some sneaky speed. I think I'm going to put him at a four here. Are you? Yeah, I'd, I'd say four is fair for Bender. I, I think that there have been several occasions where I have seen him take the ball on the counterattack and just burst. Yeah. So uh, and so fight for Bender, because I don't think there's going to be an argument that he's a four. He's not a five. He's fast, but he's not that fast. Uh, for fight... I haven't really gotten the chance to see Bender do this, but it looks more like Bender wants to technique his way out of problems than sort of stand in and fight it. I think he probably ends up with like a 2-5-3 here. Would you agree? I'd call it a 3 because it, to me, fight also encompasses the willingness to track back and make the tackles. And that's an area that I have seen better. I, you know, I don't necessarily see him... Well, I will say we're only talking offensive stuff. Here. I know. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, as a part of his game, I think that, that he does get he does need to get a little bit of a credit. And, and maybe not holding the man off, uh, you know, but riding the tackle. I've seen him ride past and, and, you know, keep possession and keep dribbling forward past some uh, maybe a little rougher than they should have been slide tackles. So. Yeah. So uh, we'll give him a three for fight. I think that's completely fair. This is the one that's a challenge for me. I haven't seen a lot out of him in the air, but he's not a short guy. What are you thinking? No, he's got Curtis? the frame that you would think would be, you know, an effective uh, battler in the air. Um, I think he's won some aerial duels on the outside, mm -hmm. but this feels like a, a week three, maybe a two five, just because we don't really have a lot to go on for bender thus far yeah i think uh, for... i think we put this at a two five um even if it's just for lack of data yeah. um it's not it's not the thing i'm expecting out of ben bender uh the next two are going to be by far his strongest i'm going to go ahead and say i think he's a five for vision um yeah my definition of that that football iq is the ability to watch a play develop and see where spaces are going to be to be effective before they happen. And I think Ben Bender is the best person in our whole team for this. Um, maybe you could put Alcivar up there. Maybe you could put Swiderski up there. But I feel like Swiderski's vision is much more, how am I that, that sharp end? Whereas Bender's is much wider, much broader. Are you comfortable with a five here? Yeah, I, I think that Bender by far, it, like we looked a better team when he came in the side. Uh, and it's because he picks out better passes. And the other half of the, the good passes that he sends is, is this technique, the last score that we're going to give him. And again, you got to, I, I don't, I personally don't know that you can go, go below a 4.5. No, I don't think you can. I mean, I, I hesitate to give him five and five, um, but very rarely have I seen his technique let him down. And I've seen him put, you know, I've seen him put very challenging technical balls 
into very difficult areas very successfully. I think it's a four or five. I mean, I, I mean, I would be okay with this being a five too, because if we go back and we talk about the asterisk on on Swiderski's four or five and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're right. Bender has a broader set of technical skills, where where Swiderski has a smaller set of technical skills, but maybe there's a little bit of a finer point on some of them. Bender has the cross field ball. He's got, you know, he's got the short ball. He's got the the tiki taka one twos. And he also has, you know, the ability to, to finish these sweeping shots with his right and, um, you know, pace on the free kicks. Like, Bender's, Bender's, yeah, it's tough to not just gush yeah. uh, over Ben Bender overall. So, yeah, I, I think that, and what we're doing today is we're doing this live on mic so you guys can see what, how we're thinking and, and how we're breaking down this offense. But I think you can see already just by looking at this board, and for the listener, we apologize, you don't have it in front of you. But for us, we already see that the combination of speed, vision, and technique that is shared by Swiderski and Bender, I think is a lot of the reason those two connect so well, is because they're thinking very similar, right? They're, they're considering the same things as their weapons, and so while one of them is la- is a little bit more of a deep playmaker and one of them is a little bit more of the pointy end, Bender has the technical ability to provide Swiderski that ball that Swiderski can use as a, as a dagger, right? Yep. And vice versa. Bender can, can let Swiderski make his run, see the play develop, and then get into an effective position with his vision and 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 the other way around Swiderski can can use his vision to open up the play for Bender knowing that Bender will see it and get in and i really feel like this is the reason these two are already kind of our deadly connection yeah. uh and, and possibly part of the reason that we see Rios struggling in the offense is because what Rios is good at right now we're not really providing Four. I mean, it's kind of a, a set piece or a uh, an over-the-top ball that we're asking him to hold up. Uh, ultimately, that you know that last column of technique is so important at that that pointy end of the pitch because it means that you're capable of of making the deadly ball. Uh, yep. uh, so, Justin Alcivar. Yeah, Alcivar is going to be an interesting one, I think. So I, I think that straight line speed-wise, I don't know that there's anybody that's currently on the pitch. I mean, I, I would be really interested to see what, what just a flat-out foot race between Jordi Alcivar and Jalen Lindsay looks like. Yeah, he's he's quick, isn't he? Um, yeah. I, I think we could put him in a four here. I think he's probably a little faster than Ben Bender, but... I don't think he's also the fastest in MLS. Would you agree? Maybe a four or five. Yeah, and and there's uh, I think a four is probably fair with sort of this understanding of like there's on the ball speed, there's off the ball speed, and one of the things that that Alcivar has is, you know, he he probably has more off the ball speed than Bender. That means when he doesn't have the ball at his feet and dribbling, just flat out in a straight line. I think on the ball they're probably about the same. I would agree with that. Um, so fight, I think he actually kind of shines in the fight territory. I think he's not afraid of being close to people at all. Yeah, he's a scrappy little fella, isn't he? He's scrappy. Yeah, he is scrappy. I mean, I think maybe I put him in that four category as well here. Would you? Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think that he pushes in the same kind of fight as Rios. Mm-hmm. You know, his fight is more, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to run through you with it. Yeah. So um, from an aerial position, um, this, yeah. is, this is a guy who takes our corner kicks for a reason. Um, he he has never struck me as somebody who's going to be the guy who goes up and wins headers. Uh, I think a two is fair. I mean, I'd be okay going down to like a one five on this, just because a like he's not taking our you know he's not in there. He's taking he's taking a lot of these corners. Bender's taking some of the other. We don't have a lot of data on him. Same as Bender. Mm-hmm. The frame on Bender says he's going to be better at headers than Alcivar. This is just a, a you know. Nothing you can do about the height that you are. So, uh, Bender just has more of it. So. so weirdly, this next column, this vision column, is going to be one I actually think rates pretty low on Alcivar. Uh, I think he is fighty. I think he is fast. And I think he is skilled. 
I I don't feel like I have seen that many like really really high vision plays from him. How do you feel about this? Like two point five. This is really tough, right? Because the overlap between vision and technique is so interesting. Like, yeah. we when I go back and I talk about that third goal at New England Revolution again, he does a really good job of picking out where the cutback to Ben Bender is. Yeah, it's difficult to say watching the replay. Does he does he do that well because he has great vision and and spots where Bender's in position, or is it? more so the technique of chopping the ball back between two defenders. And I feel like it's more technique than vision. So uh, I'm, I'm okay with yeah, this being... I think I think the reason I don't want to call that out as, as really good vision is because that is that is programmed, right? That's the stuff that they work on every single day in training. Every single day in training, they get taught the exact same pattern play, which is as you cross the 18-yard box, find the guy on the penalty spot, run to the post, chop it back to the penalty spot. And he does that really well. His technique is quite good. But I think what happens there is he executes good training. Not that he is somebody who inherently reads a play really, really well on the fly. Would you agree? Sure. So 2-5? Yeah, I, mean, two? I think it's fair. What are you thinking? Uh, I think probably 2-5. Yeah, it's not like he's blind to the events on the field. Yeah, and again, does we still are pick out a good pass a fair a fair amount of the time, but I don't know, you know. Again, we, this goes back to is this vision or is this technique? But like, I don't know that he's necessarily putting the weight, the the like the the perfection of where is the play breaking that that a player like Bender does. Yeah, and uh, I will come right out and say I think his technique sits at a four. I think his technique is better than your average MLS player. Um, I don't think it's game breaking. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think four is probably fair. And and don't get me wrong, like I don't want people to think Alcivar may have gotten some of the lower scores out of everybody here. Oh, actually, he's gotten some of the Jordan higher Alcivar ones. Yes, yeah. is one of the most important players on the pitch for Charlotte FC. Yeah, I would um, I would agree. And if you look across the the board, I mean. Being elite in one of these things is spectacular. Being really good at three of them uh, will make you a millionaire. And based on what we've just put together here, Alcivar is a four out of five in three of them. And it shows, you know, like like you can see it. Uh, yeah. I think the only person who has higher across the board than him is Ben Bender, who we've given a four in speed, a five in vision, and a five in technique. So, you know, if you look at the next best person, it's like Bender has the highest three columns, and then Alcivar has the highest three columns, and then it would be Swiderski with yeah. vision, technique, and either aerial or speed. And, I mean, we're talking about Jordi Alcivar as... Uh, one of the best three attackers on the team, right? Like, we're putting him up Which there in really high numbers. He absolutely is. Um, but I also feel like he is he is not going to be the guy who goes up and, and gets it out of the air, you know? Uh, yeah. So, it will also, all of this, all, all of this rating, all of this information, everything like that, as we kind of wrap up these, uh, these breakdowns for these players. And I do think that, our listeners can expect more of these, both for more of the attacking players, and then we may focus some of the breakdown, uh, some of the other statistics that you might look for uh, on some of our defenders before long. Yeah, and um, that will be that will be something that we use, and, and you know, hopefully, we can sort of reference back on as a how does this attack build? Because I really feel like, and we're gonna have to, uh, you know, we're gonna have to talk about the fact that uh, Yazwiak is coming in. And Yazwiak is going to break these numbers wide open. One of these four players is likely going to have to leave the field in order to bring in Yazwiak. So uh, on, on those notes, Justin, Yazwiak is training with the team, is he not? Yeah, he's he's landed. He did a little bit of solo work uh, Sunday before the match against Atlanta. 
and this week he has been on the pitch and uh, the early returns from Miguel Angel Ramirez on the Charlotte Football Club uh, website indicate that Yazwiak looks good. There's no sign of he had a lingering angle, ankle injury that originally delayed his transfer over here to Charlotte uh, from Derby County in the, the English leagues. Um, but it, it seems like he's healthy now. He is still crazy fast. Uh, he can. He generally plays on, on one of the wings. So it will be interesting to see, like you said, what happens to this team shape, what happens to the players with now the addition. Kamal Yazwiak's a designated player. There's a lot of money being spent by Charlotte to bring him in. He's going to play. Somebody's going to need to sit for him. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's coming in and he looks good, so Yeah. I mean we we put we'll we do these numbers to, to see how it works out, right? But that ultimately and thankfully is a problem for Miguel Ramirez, not for us. Uh we don't have to make and those decisions. It's it's not a bad problem for Charlotte FC to have to be a bit spoiled for choice and attack and everything. So Oh yeah, there are um, way worse problems. And one of the things that I'll mention here is is you have to be willing to kill your darlings. Um, to be a good football team. Like, we are all going to fall in love with these players, and sooner or later, they're all going to have to sit down. Sooner or later, they're all going to get traded to another team. Uh, sooner or later, they are going to retire. Eventually, out of the game. Yep. Yeah, eventually, you have to kill your darlings. Uh, yep. you, you have to make the best team you can make, regardless of any previous love for a player. But, boy, that's going to be a tough decision. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we do have uh, the U.S. Open match in Greenville coming up. It is in Greenville, South Carolina. It is on April 20th. That's a Wednesday. Uh, so I know there are already uh, supporters groups out there who are, are making plans to get down there. I will be there. And so while you will not be getting a podcast about that match in particular, uh, you know, we may touch on it really quickly. I may just be like, hey, we played good. Hey, we played bad. Uh, and... Uh, as a result, do look out. You may not be getting a podcast that Wednesday. We will be putting it out as soon as possible uh, because we want to to have the most regular schedule that we can for you guys. Justin, we have... I was just going to say it'll be really interesting to see this U.S. Open match. For those of you who don't know, the U.S. Open match is an opportunity for all of the professional leagues in the United States going all the way down to you know, the, the United Soccer League... It, um, across the country you know teams like the charlotte independence uh the minor league squad here in charlotte they play in the usl they have an opportunity to play as mls teams everybody and uh it's it's just a it's a big knockout tournament we'll play through all the different layers um it'll be an, a great opportunity I, I hope for maybe some players who aren't traditionally in the starting 11 for charlotte to get an opportunity to play get a few minutes get some experience uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens there and uh, this weekend, uh, this Saturday, I believe, we are up in New England uh, for another rematch in our young season. We have the New England Revolution this weekend uh, up in New England. Yep. So. And I think we would like to see if we can get our first away win, which, uh, which would be a good feather to put into the cap. Beat them uh, once. Yeah. Should be able to beat them again. Absolutely. That's that's what we want to look for. And since we are now going on 70 minutes for this particular podcast, that's <laughs> that's good value for you listeners. We are going to wrap it up here. We will talk to you again after that New England Revolution game, but we love you for spending your time with us. Goodbye for now.